The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the nail marks, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Then put your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. This weekend we celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday. Divine Mercy Sunday is the name given to it uh, as an institution of a universal feast by Pope Pope St. John Paul II uh, about 15 or so years ago at the time of the canonization of St. Faustina. St. Faustina, you may recall, is the saint who received that revelation that, that speaking from the voice of the Lord himself back in the 1930s and 40s of how the Lord Jesus came to her And he invited her to join him in bestowing his mercy upon the world. Really to invite her to pray that others might be immersed in his mercy and come to find peace. So she took that message from Christ and began to spread it around that others too might join in that mission of bringing many souls to come to know the mercy of God. John Paul II uh, was nearby at that time and certainly heard of this increasing devotion, and so it was later on when he was the Pope that he began and instituted this Feast of Divine Mercy. In fact, it was a request of Jesus himself that the Sunday after Easter would be known as Divine Mercy Sunday. And so we hear this message of mercy that echoes through the course of our readings today. We have a great summary of the message of mercy in the letter of St. Peter, where he speaks of God, quote, who in his great mercy gave us a new birth to a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in that we see four particular points that are of great importance for us. First, it's a great mercy. 
It's an abundant mercy, truly an infinite mercy. There's no end to the mercy of God that we can understand. And so indeed it is a great mercy. And by that great mercy, one is able to experience a new birth, a new life, a fresh start, a clean slate, if you will. And on account of that clean slate, on account of that new birth, we become children of God and heirs of heaven. And for that reason, we have a living hope. A hope that promises us that if we draw close to Christ, that he will draw us to himself for eternity. And he will bring us to heaven. And all of this on account of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection. That thing which we profess every Sunday, which we, we, we profess our, our belief in the resurrection of Jesus, and yet sometimes we lose the power of what it is that actually took place. The power of the fact that Christ has conquered sin, that Christ has conquered death. That all suffering, though it may seem insensible to us, can now actually make sense. All because of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. It's that mercy of God that's poured out upon us that Jesus shows to us in the gospel today as well. Of how he appears to the disciples, those who had just a few days before had left him, abandoned him in his time of need, left him literally to be killed. Whereas Jesus could have had anger, where he could have had resentment, where he could have had a harsh rebuke, or even just simply an emotional sadness that his friends left him, abandoned him. Rather than to, 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 to begin with any of those things, any negative things towards the disciples, he comes and simply says, peace be with you. Peace. He wishes them to know his peace, and not only to know it as, a, as, a, as something in their head, but to experience for themselves in their hearts. So Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father sends me, so I send you. And he breathes on them the Holy Spirit and sends them off to be able to forgive sins. Not just to talk about mercy, but to give it. To be instruments of it. What a wonderful gift. To be instruments of mercy. Unfortunately, however, there comes times in our life, particular situations sometimes, where we desire to set limits to the things to which we're willing to go even to the limits of our mercy. In the first reading today, we heard of how in the early church, everyone lived as one. They sold all of their possessions, they sold all their extra land, and they placed everything at the feet of the priest in the local community, and that priest would provide for the whole of the, the, whole of the parish, essentially, and to be able to provide for each according to their need. Anybody feel like doing that today? We set limits, right? <laughs> when I was in the seminary, my room was, was often a, a kind of a, a community room. I had a coffee pot and would make coffee regularly throughout the day. I had a TV and DVD player and DVDs and books and all this kind of stuff. And I had a couch. Uh, so people would, I, it wasn't uncommon for me to come into my room and find someone sitting on my couch watching a movie, drinking some coffee. It was kind of normal. And that was okay for me because I left the door unlocked for that purpose. But occasionally there came a day where, you know, one of my movies would be borrowed, and it never came back. <laughs> or a book was borrowed, and it never came back. And it wasn't okay. 
Because that was my limit. You can borrow it. <laughs> Just bring it back because it's mine. There were limits to my willingness to share with others. And again, so too also with our mercy. If you listen to the news, you may have heard a little bit about what has taken place in Arkansas in the past week and a half or so, particularly in the realm of um, capital punishment, execution of parishioners uh, on death row. The state of Arkansas decided that they were going to kill 12 men who were on death row. Appeals brought that down to eight. And so they had decided that they were going to go on a mission to kill eight men in eight days. Something they hadn't done, they hadn't, they hadn't done execution in over 10 years. Uh, and to do eight men in eight days uh, was a kind of heroic feat for them. It hadn't been done in some 30 or 40 years, that many that quickly. And the reason that they were doing uh, eight executions in that time is because the medication they use for putting a man to sleep, essentially, was expiring on April 30th. And because of the expiration on a date, on a bottle, eight men were, were basically sentenced to a sooner death. Now, it's interesting that you're concerned about the date on the bottle when ultimately the man's going to die, but that's a whole different discussion about our culture. But there's this reality that in every execution, oftentimes... They make appeals, right? We know that they appeal to this court and appeal to that court and appeal to this court and they go up and up and up. And so they get hopefully what they desire or they get a a negative response and ultimately the individual goes to their death. And this took place on this past Thursday. The first of the eight men was sentenced to die at midnight. The, The appeals were made and they went up and up and up. And they made it to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now you may remember that part of our uh, part of our recent presidential cycle, uh, presidential election cycle, one of the main things that people were talking about was we need pro-life Supreme Court justices. We need to have pro-life Supreme Court justices. That was one of the, the things that I kept hearing out of people: pro-life Supreme Court justices. And, and certainly we do, absolutely. I'm not disagreeing. And so everything we stood was especially on one of those one of those pillars was pro-life Supreme Court justice. In recent weeks, we've saw uh, the installation of our newest Supreme Court justice, supposedly one of those pro-life justices. But on Thursday night, there was a 4-4 tie on whether the man should be given a delay in his execution or should be put to death. The ninth vote was the swing vote, came down to our new Supreme Court justice, who is pro-life, and he voted to allow the man to be killed. Pro-life, merciful, to an extent. Into our little box, the place where we like things to be merciful. But beyond that, leave them to the Lord, huh? Never mind the fact that the man had pled his innocence from the first, that he was denied any DNA testing through the course of his 24 or so years of imprisonment, that his lawyer showed up drunk for the trial, and that the judge was having an affair with a member of the prosecution. All of those things mean nothing, huh? Certainly he was a guilty man. No mercy. But even if someone was guilty, 
even if they confessed to it 100%, rejoiced in it, celebrated it, does it mean that they should die? Does it mean we have the right to kill? And that's the ultimate question. And the church gives us the answer. And the answer is no. In recent years, the church has clarified its, its response and, and teachings in regards to capital punishment, to the death penalty. Centuries ago, the church said, if the, if the particular institution is not able to, you know, to keep the man safely, to ensure that he won't be a danger to himself and to society and to others, it would be acceptable, it would be permitted to put the man to death. If there was no way they could guarantee that the world would be safe from that individual. But as John Paul II noted first, Benedict XVI reiterated, Pope Francis has again reiterated recently, that's not the case today. In fact, John Paul II went so far as to say it is virtually impossible that we have any need of the death penalty in these days. Virtually impossible. No use. And yet still, judgment is given for death. The Louisiana Catholic Conference of Bishops, the seven bishops of the diocese in Louisiana, released a letter this week as well in regards to capital punishment. Because there are two bills currently up on the, for the state uh, legislature to be able to look at the question of the death penalty and capital punishment, whether some alternative is possible and indeed viable. And our, our local bishops have said much the same as our previous pontiffs, the Holy Fathers. They pointed out that taking another life as a mode of justice, it brings no hope, it brings no healing, it brings no reconciliation, and it brings no peace. Where we think it seems to be as justice, rather, it's vengeance in the heart. We love to go Old Testament style when it comes to mercy for others. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, huh? You kill someone I love, I'm going to kill you. Justice. But we forget that mercy triumphs over justice. Mercy is greater than justice. And it's that mercy that Christ comes to remind us of. Our Lord Jesus comes to us and he assures us that there is not a single thing that the human person can ever do in this life that will take away our dignity, that will take away the fact that we are children of God, or take away the fact that we can be converted to Christ. Remember that St. Paul was a vicious killer of the Christians in his early days. In his youth, he murdered the church. Jesus himself spoke to him when he fell off his horse and said, Why are you persecuting me? Christ. Us. But Paul was converted. And it's the power of the mercy of God. The mercy of God, that great mercy that brings forth new birth and gives us living hope. The disciples went forth to be able to claim a message of mercy and to bring forth forgiveness of sins. St. Faustina herself carried out a similar mission, being able to go forth and to take the souls of so many people throughout the world and to immerse them in the mercy of God by the gift of her prayers. And now the mission is ours. 
to be able to go forth and to pray for others, to pray for conversion of hearts, beginning with ours first, and to pray for our world that we might be able to all come to experience and to know the mercy of our God. Again, there's nothing that can ever separate a person from the love of God. And so we rejoice in that gift of His mercy. If you've been following along, if you picked up one of the little red pamphlets last week about the divine mercy, or a couple of weeks ago now, I think. If you've been following along with the particular days, each of the days Jesus said, I want you to immerse this particular group of people in my mercy today. Priests and religious. The lay faithful of the church. Those who are hardened sinners. Those who deny Jesus. Immerse them in my mercy. And he wants us to do the same. Christ comes to us, every single one of us, and gives us his mercy, gives us forgiveness a thousand times over if we need it. And he's willing to give it generously. Not counting costs, not setting limits to it, but simply giving it and giving it freely. He bids us, the members of his body here and today, to do the same.